0: your Bibles to that passage, Jeremiah 31. We're actually going to be looking at all of Jeremiah 30 through 33 this morning. Don't worry, we're not going to look at it in too much detail, but we are going to look at the uh, entire passage because we need to see the, the entire passage in order to really understand Uh, the the good news of Christmas that Sam was talking about. It's obviously in this passage that we find the verse that, that Matthew tells us was fulfilled when Herod expressed his murderous rage against the one who was born to be king of the Jews You remember the story. Wise men had come from the east. They had come looking for the one whose star they saw, the one born to be king of the Jews. And and Matthew tells us that when Herod heard it, he was greatly troubled. And so while he pretended to want to find this child, that he might honor him, that he might even worship him as the Christ, as the, the promised Savior, in truth he wanted to find the child so that he could kill him. And he asked the, the wise men to come back to him after they had located him. But, but God warned the wise men not to return to Herod, and so they went back to their own country by another way. But when Herod realized that he had been deceived, when he realized that the, the wise men had not returned to him, in his rage he decided that if he didn't know precisely which child needed to die, he would just kill them all. And so he decided that he would kill all the the children in and around Bethlehem, two years old and under. And it is in that murderous rage that Matthew tells us that Jeremiah 31, 15 was fulfilled. A voice heard in Ramah, a small town just north of Bethlehem. A voice heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Probably not the scripture that we first think of when we uh, come to the Sunday before Christmas, but, but it's an important passage for us to understand. It's, a, it's an important passage for us to, to meditate on because in this passage, in all of its bitterness, and all of its horror, this passage opens up to us the wonders of what Christmas is is truly all about. And it does that because it opens our eyes to the reality of exile. It opens our eyes to see in full the pain of living under a foreign power. This morning we're going to see how that pain was experienced by, by the mothers in Jeremiah's day. How it was experienced by mothers in Jesus' day. And how it is still experienced by all Today. So let's, let's begin with the mothers of Jeremiah's day, because in its original context, this prophecy, Jeremiah 31, 15, this, this prophecy is about the, the lamentation of the Jewish mothers who were, who were watching their sons either put to the sword or carried off into exile. They're, they're here referred to singularly as, as Rachel, Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. All of the Jewish mothers are referred to as, as Rachel, as they, as they watch their children, the, the children of Israel carried off into exile. And, and you can understand the, 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 the full range of that pain as these, as these mothers weep and, and lament for their children. First, there is just the personal pain of losing a child. That's something that some of you know firsthand. There, there are some who have, who have lost children, but even if you've, you've never lost a, a child, you, you know the pain of, of losing or of seeing your child suffer. You, you know the, the, the pain of, of seeing them um, you know, harmed and, and hurt in this broken world. There is that, that personal pain of, of losing a child, but there's, there's more than that. There's, there's also the, the family pain of seeing your family line come to an end. Now, I think that's a, a little bit harder for uh, modern Americans to, to comprehend. We don't think in terms of, of family lines the way that ancient people did. And so, having your family line come to an end isn't always the, the same trauma uh, in, in our minds as it would have been to them. But, but I think we can still feel something of what this must have meant, what it, what it must have felt like to, to the mothers in, in Jeremiah's day when you think about someone losing a, a family business or when you think about someone losing the, the family farm, seeing it come to a, a sad end. I, I think of Kevin Costner's character in A Field of Dreams as he, he faces the prospect of, of losing this farm that is. Has been in the family for generations. Or I even heard about it uh, an actual account of uh, farmers in Louisiana who, who saw the, the land that their grandparents and, and their parents had farmed being taken away from them because of the corrupt practices of a bank. We know what it is to, to see a family legacy, to see that business that has been worked for, that has been built up over generations. We know what it is to see that come to an end and lament. That's what the, the mothers in Jeremiah were experiencing as they saw not only their, their children die, but they, they saw their family lines being extinguished. And then, even beyond this family pain, there was the national pain. Seemingly losing their covenantal blessing. Israel was God's chosen nation. They were His peculiar people. They were His beloved. And that meant that they were, they were to enjoy His favor and they were to enjoy his, his protection. They were to know His blessing. And yet, as Babylon rolled in and, and carried them off, it seemed that they had been utterly. Forsaken. It seemed that they had been forgotten. It seemed that they had been abandoned. The covenant was broken. And as we think about this, the full range of that pain, we, we can imagine what it must have been like, the, the bitter pain of that moment, the bitter pain of exile. And it's that pain, that, that full-orbed pain of exile, that the mother's, in Ramah and in Bethlehem, experienced under Herod's murderous rage. There was the the personal pain, of course, because the the soldiers came to murder their children. The the soldiers came to put their sons to the sword. And and this meant not only the, the loss of their beloved children, but it was the family losses as well. As the next generation died to to satisfy the, the anger of a wicked king. And there is no doubt that they felt that same national covenantal pain as they wondered, God, how could you let this happen? How could you... Let it happen. But together, this this pain of of Herod's rage was a a clear reminder to the mothers in Jesus' day that things were not yet as they were supposed to be. Yes, they were technically back in the land, but they were still under foreign domination. They were still in exile, even in their homeland. Because they were subject to the whims and the, the caprice of wicked rulers. Their lives were still at risk because wicked rulers do what's right in their own eyes rather than acknowledging the Lord. That is the pain. That is the trauma that was felt by the mothers in and around Bethlehem. And it's a pain that is still felt today. You have felt the pain at, at all of these levels. You, you know what it is to live in a wicked world under foreign powers, full of, of malice and caprice. We know the the personal pain of of bitter loss. Some have have actually lost children, but all of us have have lost that which is dear to us. All of us have have experienced the the trauma of having those things that we love taken away, of, of having the things that we love destroyed. And we know what it is to, to experience that loss and see not only the loss of the, the one we love, but to but to see it as the, the end of, of that which we were working towards, of that which we were seeking to build up. We, we have this desire for our lives to count, to do something bigger than ourselves, and yet we all know the the, uh, the pain of, of vanity. We all know the, the bitterness of, of fruitless labor. We all know the uh, the, the, the struggle of, of, of just Pointless work. We've all had that. We've all seen the, the good that we were trying to achieve, lost or, or undone, when our lives were revealed to be a chasing after the wind. You, you know that. You've experienced that. You've, you've been in that place with the things that you had worked for, the, the, your legacy, Seem to come unraveled, to come apart at the seams. And in the midst of that, you have felt covenantal pain. You have been left asking God, how could you let this happen? Why did you let things turn out this way? I thought that you were for me. How is it then? that I have ended up here? How is it then that these things have, have taken place? How is it that I have been crushed again and again and again by the providences of this world? Why do these foreign powers have power over me? It's a question that we have all left, been left asking. We, we have all experienced this, this pain because we all live in exile. You see, we are heirs of the promises made to Abraham. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's child, Paul tells us. The the promises made to Abraham are, are the promises made to us. We are the heirs of those promises. We are the ones who will be his kingdom. We are the ones who will be a great nation. We are the ones who will be blessed to be a blessing. And yet, and yet... We experience the, the crushing pain of personal loss. We, 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 can, we experience the, the crushing bitterness of, of, of pointless labor and of legacies undone. And we are left wondering if God has forgotten us. As Sam was pointing out to the children, this is something we have experienced intensely in 2020. The, the jokes about 2020 will be told for generations to come, I am sure. It has been quite a year. It has been a a hard year. But in some senses, it has been a normal year. Yes, the pains and the struggles have taken a new form in this year. But the pains and the struggles were not new. We have all experienced these pains, and we have experienced them long before 2020. It is the reality of life and what Paul calls the present evil Age, The present evil age where we do not yet live in his kingdom. Where we we still long for the day for his kingdom to come. When we sing, even as the band sang, Lord, come quickly. I don't know how much longer I can take it. I don't know how much longer I can survive in this present reality. And it's that sense of longing that is the very essence of what it means to be in That's why Peter calls us sojourners and exiles in this present age, because we do not yet live at home. We have not yet come into the kingdom that has been prepared for us. And because we live in exile, we experience the pains of exile. We experience that full orb pain known firsthand by the mothers in Jerusalem. We know that pain experienced by the mothers in Bethlehem and in Jesus' day. It is the unavoidable pain of life in this present evil age. And we need to face it squarely. We we need to see it clearly. Because it's only when we recognize the reality of where we live at this moment that we are prepared to understand the full glory of the good news of Christmas. Because what I want you to see this morning is that the, the horror and the pain and the bitterness and the lament that, that, that the mothers of Bethlehem experience, that the mothers in Jeremiah's day experience, that Jeremiah speaks of that in the middle of one of the most hopeful sections in all of the prophets. Look with me again at Jeremiah 31. We we see the verse that Matthew refers to there in Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. But now I want you to to see the, the context within which that pain is placed. Because it's placed in the midst of hope. Flip back just to the beginning of this section, uh, chapter 30, verse 1. Notice what Jeremiah writes. He says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. The Lord says to Jeremiah, listen, you need to write down these things that I'm telling you. There needs to be a record. There needs to be something that the people can return to again and again to to remember and to hope. And what we have in the chapters that follow is the record of that hope. That that hope that, that God understands needs to be written down. Because the pain of exile is real and it can cause us to forget. It can blind us to the, to the reality of the hope that is ours. And he says, you need to write these things down so that God's people can return to them again and again and again. So that in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their lament, they will not lose hope. And so what is this great thing that, that Jeremiah has written down for us? What is this, this great hope that, the, that all the prophets speak of? It is the hope that God has not forgotten. It is the hope that he is one day going to bring us back to the land. That he is one day going to fulfill all the promises that he has made. Beginning there in verse 4, notice what he says. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Jonah. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, of no peace Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? It's, it's a picture of, of, of men who are under siege, who have nothing to eat, who are, who are in excruciating pain. And he says, this is what I see. A day so great there is none like it It's a time for distress for Jacob. Uh, yet, yet, he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off his neck and I will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. This is the promise. My people are under distress. My people are under foreign power. They, they are being uh, abused and, and mistreated, and yet I will save them out of their distress. I will bring them home. I will return them to me. I will reestablish them in the land. They will again be my people. Verse 10. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord. Nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure." And I will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable and your wound is grievous. But then skip ahead just a little bit to where he says, verse 17, For I will restore you to health and your wounds I will heal. Your wound is incurable, but I will heal you. You have a condition that is, that is beyond hope. And yet I am your hope. It reminds me of Jesus saying, what is impossible for man is possible for God. The salvation of the rich is impossible, but God can accomplish it. The salvation of the sinner is impossible, but God can make him who is dead alive. And that is what he promises to do for his people Israel. He promises that that he will cure the incurable wound, that he will bring them back. And it's in the midst of this sort of hope that that carries on into chapter 31. Look at how he begins. He says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be to me my, uh, my people. Thus says the Lord... The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Think about that phrase, O virgin Israel. Hear the apostate, hear the adulterous nation. God refers to as, as virgin Israel, as the one whom he will bring back to himself, the one he will cleanse of all of her iniquity, the one whom he will again make make right. This is the promise, This that they will receive all of the majestic promises made to Abraham. They will not be forgotten. None of God's words will fall to the ground unfulfilled. They will receive everything that was promised. So that when we re- come to uh, the, the language of the Of the exile, in verse 15, it says, Thus the Lord says, A voice is heard in Ramah lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted, for her children are no more. We then read in verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work. A reward for your work. the, The future generations have not been lost. All the work that you did as mothers to raise up the next generation, it has not been lost. It will not be undone. Appearances are deceiving. You think all hope has been lost, but no, for I am still with you. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. Yes, I have disciplined you, he says. But I will bring you home, and therefore he, he instructs them to set up markers along the roads so that they can find their way back, because they will surely be returning home. It's the picture that God wants us to see of the full restoration, and it's in this context that he speaks of a new covenant, because he's not just bringing them home. He's not just bringing them home so that they can again continue in their faithlessness. You see, what God is promising here is not just a second chance to get it right. A second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. They would do us no good. We see this in the the story of the flood. Do you remember how God describes mankind before the flood? He says, every inclination of their heart was only evil all the time. And so God brings a judgment upon the earth, saving only Noah and his family. But even when Noah and his family are all that is left, God looks upon mankind and says, and every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. You see, we are people infected by sin. We don't just need another chance. We need God to do something even greater. We need God to make us new. We need God to take away our hearts of rebellion and replace them with hearts of of faithfulness. We need God to to work in us the faith and the, the obedience that he requires. And that is exactly what God says he is going to. do. He's not just going to give his people another chance. He is going to make his people new. This is the promise of the new covenant, beginning in verse 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to, to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though they were though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. It's not going to be just another version of that covenant. It's not going to be just another covenant that they can break. Verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall one teach his neighbor and his brothers saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Not only will I bring them back into the land, but I will bring them back to myself. I will give them hearts to know and to love me. I will make them into the people that I call them to be. This is the wonder of the new covenant. It's not just that he gives us another chance. It's not just that he he gives us another opportunity to get it right. Such such opportunities would be of no avail to to sinners like us, to to sinners like the the people of Israel in Jeremiah's day. We need God to do something new. We need him to make us new. We need him to to give us hearts uh, uh, to love and to obey him that we might be his people And that we might become his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that is exactly what God is promised to do. See, Herod's murderous rage, it it put on full display the the horrors of life in exile. It put on full display the the horrors of, of life in this present evil age. But when we see the the, the framework within which that verse is found, we are reminded that the Lord's promise has not been undone. We are reminded that even in the midst of the anguish of this present evil age, we must not lose hope. For God has done a new thing in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Not only has he given us a second chance, he has done, oh, so much more. In Jesus Christ, he has defeated sin and death. In Jesus Christ, he has made us who were dead in our trespasses alive together with him. And in doing so, he has qualified us for inheritance in the kingdom that is coming, the kingdom that Jesus will establish so that when we are given our inheritance, we will not one day lose it because of our faithlessness but it is is an inheritance guaranteed by the work of Christ in and for us. This is the good news of Christmas, that God has sent his Son into the world to do what Israel could not do for themselves, to do what we could not do for ourselves, to qualify us for an inheritance in the kingdom that will be everlasting. And when we begin to understand that, it sets us free to, to think not only about Christmas, but to think about all of our lives in a new way. Yes, it, it reminds us that we should expect pain and suffering in this age. We will experience the, the full range of, of the evils of, of exile. We will experience personal loss. We will experience the, the futility of, of Shattered dreams and and undone ambition. And we will even at times wonder if God has forgotten us. We will experience that full range of emotion. Peter tells us that when such things happen, we ought not to consider it strange. This is life in this present evil age. But even in the midst of such suffering, Paul says, we Do not lose heart. We do not lose heart because the the struggles and the trials that we experience, they are slight and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for us. Yes, we we experience grief, we experience groaning, we will weep and lament in this life. But in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. For we know that through the one born in Bethlehem, God is working for the good of his people. And he will one day bring to completion all the good works that he has been doing. He will one day fulfill all of the promises that he has made. And therefore, as we suffer the loss of all things in this life, we can count them as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord and the power of his resurrection. Knowing that in him we have a sure and certain future. In him we have a living hope and an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, untouched by sin, that will be ours forever. This is the hope of Christmas, and therefore we, we can follow and serve Him in the present, unafraid. Not because we know we will not suffer, but because we know that when the floods come, they will not overwhelm us. And when the fires rage, they will not consume us for he is our God and we are his people and if he is for us it matters not who stands against us and because such an unspeakable glorious hope is ours in Christ because such a a glorious hope is ours through the babe born in Bethlehem That is why we remember and celebrate His birth as good news of great joy for all people. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace. And we pray, Father, that You would open our eyes to the wonders and the glories of Christmas. That You would open our eyes to the wonders and the, the glories of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, he was born into a broken world, a a world where those with power used it to to destroy the weak, to advance their own interests. And Father, we continue to live in such a broken world. We we continue to live in a world where, where such pain is common. And yet in the face of such pain, Father, we do not lose heart because we know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And that one day all things will be placed in submission to him. And he will rule all things for us and for our good. Father, we pray that you would teach us to to live in this hope day by day. Until that day when he returns to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.